And um, if you're like me, um, you might dream quite a lot, but dreams are often pretty nonsense things, aren't they? And all sorts of different scenes are mixed up together. But one thing I found gratifying, in a few dreams, I found myself sharing my faith. And after the dream, I thought, that wasn't too bad. You know, yeah, that, you know, that wasn't nonsense. Somehow or other, um, I was able to share the authentic gospel in my dream. So there we go. Who knows who was listening to that? I don't know. Anyway, um, we're looking at uh, Jacob's dream. Okay? And um, we're in a sermon series in Genesis. We come back to it from time to time as we work through it. such um, a long book of the Bible that we need to deal with it in manageable chunks. Um, in this sermon series, we're particularly at this time, we're looking at the lives of men known as patriarchs. Okay? And David mentioned them last week. The founding fathers of the Jewish people, starting with Abraham and then his son Isaac and his son Jacob that we're looking at today. And then, of course, Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. He had twelve sons who became the twelve tribes of Israel. And, of course, the name Israel is the name that God gives to Jacob later on in the story um, that we'll hear about later on. And uh, hear about that in a few weeks' time. Um, this is the story of the, the forming of a nation over successive generations. Um, and uh, it's more than that. It's God's story where he is revealed as the originator and the architect, taking rough human material uh, and weaving it a path in history that will bring blessing to the whole world. Um, the Bible makes it clear that the, the ultimate of this blessing is to be found in Jesus Christ, um, who in the Bible we see that we can trace back his family line, right back to Abraham and the patriarchs. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises that were made to Abraham uh, and the patriarchs. And um, now through faith in him, people like you and me can become spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham uh, through Jesus. We inherit those same promises. It was intended for us. And I just had a thought. When, Abra when God called Abraham... He had you and me in mind. You know that? When God called Abraham, he had you and me in mind. So we're not dealing with dusty history here, but tracing the birth and development of the Jews through whom God has uniquely um, revealed his divine providence and his grace. And for us now, more completely, that's revealed to us in Jesus. So when we read these stories... Uh, we should not only ask ourselves about the characters, what can, they, what can they teach us, but what can we learn about God uh, through these stories? Because God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And although it's an unfolding revelation, right, we now know more than Abraham knew because we know Jesus. It's an unfolding revelation that nevertheless we can see God's faithfulness, his grace and so on right through the Old Testament. So we can learn something about God as we look at these stories. Today we're looking at um, one... Um, no, sorry. But what, we, what we know about God 
um, and is only what he has chosen to reveal of himself. And that the Jewish Christian religion uh, is not the story of man seeking God, which is so often thought to be the case, but of God seeking man, revealing himself. Man can never reach up to God. That's impossible. We can never, by all our efforts, reach up to God. But God can reach down to man and God intervenes uh, in the, the, the history of the world. He intervenes in history, revealing himself to man and drawing man into his purposes. It's not about us calling God into our purposes, but God calling us into his purposes, into his great story. And today we're looking at one such intervention of God uh, with the third generation of patriarchs, Jacob. And um, we see in these stories that God is not looking for perfect people. We find these people are flawed just like us. I find that consoling, really. I find that an encouragement that God is willing to use people that are a bit like me uh, and flawed. And so, where they're just like us. God had chosen Abraham when he was an idol worshipper in Mesopotamia and uh, made a special agreement with him that is called a covenant. And this covenant is a one-sided agreement. It's one-sided agreement. God had promised to bless Abraham and make him a great nation and to bless the whole world through him. And all that God asked Abraham to do was to believe him and to trust him and to live according to that. Abraham had done absolutely nothing to deserve this, this choice of him and even the, the people that came after him. It was purely God's sovereign choice. God made a sovereign choice. And that's true of us too. God has called us by his gospel. It's through the gospel that we learn about Jesus and God calls us through that gospel and we're saved. Not because we're good material. Not like when we're picking teams at school and you you're happen to be the captain, you're looking around to find the best people for your team. God didn't do it that way. God doesn't look for the good material because we have no merit of our own. There is no good material. And, but because of his sovereign choice and his abundant grace, he chooses us. He chooses the people he wants. Through Jesus, God has made a covenant with us. It's called the New Covenant. And this is a one-sided agreement. Put simply, God says, believe that Jesus died for you, that he took the punishment that you deserve for your sins. He took that upon himself. And God says, I will make you a new person. I will make you a child of God and I'll give you the free gift of eternal life. God says, I will give. You believe, I will give. And having taken us as we are, he now, through the ups and downs of life, helps to make us into the people he wants us to be, makes us more into the likeness of his son Jesus. And why is that? So that we can bless the world. God took Abraham so that he could be a blessing to the world. God has taken us so that we can be a blessing to the world. Thinking about um, Jacob's family, remember um, David, David reminded us last week that uh, how much conflict there was in the family of Isaac and Rebekah and their two sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, 
That's mainly because of um, Jacob and his mother's deceitful scheming uh, that robbed Esau of his birthright, first of all, and then his father's blessing. But actually, all this cheating was unnecessary. It was totally unnecessary because God had already told Rebecca, while she was still pregnant with these twins, that the older one will serve the younger one. In other words, Esau will serve Jacob. And the younger one, Jacob, did not merit this role of ruler over his brother because he was yet unborn. He wasn't born. He'd done nothing to deserve it. It was God's sovereign choice. And Rebekah must have told Jacob about this. She must have told him about this prophecy. And they should have both rested in it, not tried to bring it about by human effort. And again, last week, David drew the distinction um, between um, doing things in the flesh and doing things in the spirit. If God speaks a word of encouragement over our lives concerning the future, it's not for us to use every means, uh, in, including scheming and uh, artful activities, uh, to make sure that it happens. Right? Now, we're not to be passive about that. If God speaks something into our lives about the future, we're not to be passive about that. We are to keep it much in prayer and we are to be observant regarding the ways that God uh, might uh, lead us uh, into new opportunities. But we're not to try and make it happen as Jacob and his mother did. You remember that Esau was born first and then Jacob was born holding on to Esau's heel. Rather a strange thing. Um, But that name that Jacob received, Jacob actually means that he was a heel grabber. He grabs the heel. And the term heel grabber then became a metaphor for someone who cheats and schemes after that. So, But in spite of going about this in the wrong way, Jacob was still included uh, in God's covenant purpose. Uh, but he was to experience God's discipline over many years before he was able to return to the land and fulfill all that God had for him. And this was the period that was necessary to turn Jacob from a wrestler um, into a rester. That's what God was looking for. So we pick up the story where Esau now hates Jacob for his cheating and he's out to kill him. Rebekah persuades Jacob to go to her brother in Padam Aram um, and Isaac adds his blessing and sends Jacob off to find a wife with Rebekah's family. Jacob is now a fugitive. He's on the run. So we pick it up at verse 10, chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. 
Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring, sorry, and in you, your offspring shall all the nations and families of the earth be blessed, because I am with you, and you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. May God help us understand that word. Jacob stops to rest overnight on his journey. Unbeknown to him, this was the exact place where Abraham first stopped on his way to the promised land. Having been called from Mesopotamia, he made his journey and he stopped at this place. And he built an altar and he called on the name of the Lord. It's where uh, Abraham had stopped Jacob had this dream of heaven and uh, like heaven being opened and there was a stairway from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending and the Lord who stood above it and the Lord speaks and he identifies himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and this is quite significant because in those days uh, gods were identified as being territorial in other words, they were God of this nation or that nation. And if you pass from one country to another, you pass from the jurisdiction of one God uh, to another. But the Lord Almighty, the God, the Creator God that we know, he dispels this idea by announcing that he is present with his people wherever they are. You cannot run away from God. From then on, we find in the Old Testament, very often, God is identified as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He is the God of revelation, the God who reveals himself. And in our day, it's important that when we're talking to people about God, that we make it clear who we're talking about. Because the term God is rather a generic term. Um, other religions use the word God, don't they? And it's occurred to me when as it seems to happen so often these days, when people have a surprise on television, they exclaim, oh my God, don't they? Now, I don't know about you, but I think we all feel a little bit offended by that, but are they blaspheming our God? I don't know. I don't know whose God they have in mind. And I've heard somebody who's supposed to be a Muslim in a comedy programme on television use exactly the same phrase, oh my God. So it's important that we make it known who the God is. 
And the writers of the New Testament dealt with it in this way. When they referred to God, God the Father, um, they didn't say the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They said the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God of revelation, the God who is revealed to us. And because God is revealed to us most perfectly in Jesus, this was the best way of making sure that people knew who we were talking about. And that's what the New Testament does. It refers to God the Father as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Revelation. Now having identified himself to Jacob, he does not rebuke him. Rather surprisingly, I think we would, uh, we would just take Jacob to one side and say, look, you've got it all wrong, mate, you know. Um, You've made enemies of your family. This is not the way to go about it. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't give any rebuke at all, nor does he make any demands of Jacob uh, in this situation. Um, But what he does do is repeat the promises that were made to Abraham and to Isaac. These promises about the fact that they, they will be a great nation and bless the whole world. And in fact... He, God even expands those promises and adds even more assurances. He says, For I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. So, what a gracious God He is. What a gracious God He is. So, why did God deal so graciously with Jacob when He got it so wrong? He got it so wrong. Because He was part of God's covenant purposes. God had made a promise to Abraham about his seed, about those who would come in his family after him. And God was not about to renege on his promises to Abraham. And what God was wanting from Jacob was not penance for his mistakes. He wasn't asking him to try and make up for his mistakes, but faith in his promises for the future, which meant resting, not wrestling. Resting, not wrestling. He was looking for a righteousness that is by faith. And you might know in the New Testament, when it's talking about Abraham, it says that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, John Piper has commented in uh, one of his books called Future Grace that God's issue with Israel throughout their history was not that they sinned, but that they failed to believe him. That they would not trust him. They would not trust in his future grace. That grace was available to them for the future. And as an example, you know that when the children of Israel, having been delivered from Egypt, having been delivered from um, Pharaoh's army as they crossed the Red Sea, they come to the borders of the promised land that God had promised them. And God said, you can take the land. Go in, I'm giving this land to you. Maybe sensibly, they sent some spies into the land. And the spies came back. Some of them said, it's a great land, flowing with milk and honey. Others said, you don't want to go there. The people are huge, they're like giants. We'd be like grasshoppers to them. And the people became fearful, and they turned away. And in fact, they had to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years until there was a generation that believed God and was prepared to go into the promised land. So it's imp- this is what God looks for, to trust his promises. 
On waking, Jacob responds by exclaiming, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. His previous knowledge of God, it would appear, was second-hand. And I say that because uh, back in chapter 27, when he's talking to his father, he makes the comment, he says, because the Lord your God granted me success. It was his father's God, not his God. And, uh, you know, we may have been blessed with godly parents, we may have been brought up in the church, we may have followed Christian ways, we may have had many Christian influences, but if our faith is, will be second-hand, unless we have had a personal encounter with God. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In John's Gospel, Jesus identifies himself with, J with uh, Jacob's dream. In chapter 1, Jesus has a conversation with a man called Nathaniel, who was later to become one of Jesus' disciples. And he said this, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I don't know whether he was making a comparison with Jacob here. Jacob had plenty of deceit, and, and guile, as one of the, the um, translations says. But he says, This man has no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you're the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Just a very similar picture to Jacob and his, his dream. And I believe Jesus was saying, in effect, heaven is open through me. Heaven is open through me. Jesus is our house of God. Uh, he, he's our Bethel. He's the gate of heaven. Jesus is the way to an open heaven. So how does Jacob respond to this? Uh, has he learned his lessons at Bethel? Let's look at what he does. First he builds a kind of altar. doesn't say it's an altar, but it looks that way, with the stone that he put under his head, and he pours oil on it. Um, this is not an altar of sacrifice. Uh, it was perhaps a token that from now on, Jacob was going to pour out his life uh, in gratitude to the Lord. And of course, gratitude, thanksgiving, is always appropriate for the people of God. We give God thanks for his blessings and also for the great promises that we have in Jesus. And in a world that is full of moaning and groaning and complaining, people demanding their rights, so much greed, we can be distinctive as God's people as being a thankful people. Um, even when the going is tough, even when things are hard, we can be distinctive by being a thankful people. Why? Because we're so aware of God's grace in our lives. And therefore, there is always a reason to give thanks, uh, even when times are hard. So he does that. And now he calls on the name of the Lord. His worship is now firsthand. The Lord is Jacob's God. Uh, although what he does now may 
um, seem at first okay, um, he actually reveals that there's still something of the manipulator in Jacob. He still has much to learn. Do you remember that God's promise to Jacob was unconditional? Right? It was totally unconditional. God says, I will give. And he doesn't ask Jacob for anything in return. I will give you these things. Right? And uh, he says, he even re reinforces it by saying, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So his, this promise is cast iron. It's watertight. Because God says, I'm not going to leave you until I've done everything that I promised you. So how does Jacob respond to this? He makes a vow to God. And he says, if God will be with me. Not much faith there, is there? <laughs> if God will be with me. And then he proceeds to bargain with God, which extends to attempting to bribe God by giving um, God a tenth, a tenth, a tithe if you like. He says, I'll give you a, a tenth of all that you give me. So there's still something of a wrestler in him as he makes his way to Padan Aram. This is not the response of someone who is resting in God's promises. Now, of course, it's not wrong uh, to make an offering to God, a financial offering to God, and we're encouraged to do that as Christians, um, but it must always be from a full heart, out of gratitude to God for all that he's done for us. And uh, it's never uh, to be a way of trying to secure our salvation or gaining some favour with God. It is, our giving is just a reasonable response uh, to God's love and mercy to us, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that Jesus became, even though he was rich, became poor, so that we could become rich in him. So it's our reasonable response. Sadly, the Lord will need to teach Jacob this lesson the hard way. If you know the story, uh, he has to face the cruelty and oppression of manipulative Laban. That's Rebecca's brother. Um, and Jacob was soon to meet him. So, as a conclusion, by grace, the Jewish nation was chosen by God to play an important role in making his glory known in the earth. And we too can play our part in making God's glory known through faith in Jesus Christ. We can be part of God's plan through faith in Jesus Christ. God's amazing sovereignty is such that when we welcome Jesus into our lives as Lord and Saviour, it may seem as if it's us. We've made a decision for Jesus. I'm welcoming Jesus into my life. But maybe a little bit later, God says, hey, do you know what? I chose you in Christ before the world was made. I knew you before the world was made. That's why I could say that when God called Abraham, we got, uh, God had us in mind when he called Abraham. And so God has brought us into his family um, to be part of Jesus' family. We also see that we entered into a covenant, not the same covenant that was made with Abraham, but the new covenant, which is in Jesus. We have that relationship with God, not based on law, but on grace, not on our achievements or worldly status, but on God's love and mercy.
When God calls us and makes us his own, and even that phrase is amazing, isn't it? God calls us and makes us his own. We belong to him forever. We might by nature be a bit like Jacob. We might be a schemer or a wrestler, okay? Um, rather than a rester. Um, I think I can be like that a bit. You see, I'm an engineer and I like to fix things. I, I get a satisfaction out of making something work that didn't work before. But there are things in my life, things that go on, situations, relationships, where I ought to leave it to God. I even pray about it and say, I'm giving you this God, I'm giving it over to you. Only you can sort this. And then I poke around at it. You know? I pull this one and poke that one and so on. You know? As if God needed a helping hand. Okay? And I certainly need to learn to be a rester more than I do. It's a lesson for me. And it may be a lesson for you. Maybe you identify with that sometimes. We give something to God and then we take it back and worry about it. Okay? And, of course, Jesus gives us this wonderful invitation, doesn't he, to rest in him. He says, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden light. And this is all to do with the plan that God has for us. To participate in his wonderful mission in the world. And Jesus says, my burden is light. You don't have to wrestle, you have to rest. Okay, You have to rest. And all those promises made to Abraham and to the patriarchs are ours. Because Paul, when he writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. We inherit the promises. And that him, of course, is Jesus. We inherit the promises. May God help us to rest in his promises by his grace. Let's pray.